Hello and welcome back to the very first episode of Drama School Dropout in 2023. This week it's episode 118 and as per usual my name is Ingram Noble and I am your resident Drama School Dropout. And this week I am chatting to an absolute icon of British telly who you may know from his six series stint on Benidorm. Please welcome to the podcast, Paul Baisley. Drama School Dropout, no graduation day. Welcome to the podcast. How are we? I'm very good, thank you. Yeah. Sans technical difficulties. Sans <laughs> technical difficulties in my hotel room, all set up. Do not disturb on the door, ready to go. Love it. I mean, I I, I don't have anything planned today, but like Amazon delivery drivers do knock on my door for my neighbours quite no. regularly. So no. let's hope that it doesn't happen today. But how are you? How's life? I'm very good. I'm here in Belgrade, having a lovely time on the job that I'm doing. I'm looking out the window. It was snowing yesterday, but it's but it's a bit warmer again now. I can't remember where Belgrade is. Serbia. Serbia. Oh. Yeah, and it's really nice actually. It's a really. It's one of those. It's not the prettiest city, but it's a lively city. You know, it's like yeah. a proper lively. Loads of nice cafes, bars, really lovely people. So uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I can't say much about Glasgow. It was minus eleven last night. That was fun. Oh my god. I've invested in a new duvet. Um, so now I have a duvet sandwich I lay on top of one and I cover myself with one Um, (laughs) my heating's not been off 30 degrees for the past week Um, and it's still freezing so yeah but on another note it's 2023 I mean it's not we're recording in advance but yeah happy happy new year everyone I hope everyone had a lovely Christmas I hope you had a lovely Christmas Paul I hope you had a lovely festive time Um, yeah but yeah, it's fun. I'm excited for the. I'm excited for the new year. Well, that's good. I'm yeah. I'm I, I. I like New Year. I know some people get a bit maudlin, don't they? But I always think, yes, come on. I don't do any of like the traditional stuff. I'm not a resolutions person. I, I don't really like New Year's Eve, just because my grandma died a couple of years ago on New Year's Eve. Oh, I, I don't drink, so I'm not like right. a, a party animal. But I I quite like the, like I like the fresh page that you get to start and it's like yeah and i really like i really buy into all that solstice solstice stuff you know so it's like it is the time of the year for quiet reflection you can have a little sit down doesn't have to be on new year's eve and go what happened to me this year what would i like to happen to me next year just thinking about those things i think it's a nice quiet time to do it light a fire if you can you know make a few mm. right do a bit of journaling whatever it is you know it's that that's what burn pictures of your ex-boyfriends yeah. exactly Burning stuff. I'm good. I love burning stuff. I'm too scared. I'm going to set my gaff on fire. Okay. I have. We've got a little open fire. I burn. I burn loads of stuff. Burn bad things. I burn. Whenever I have an audition, I burn my sides. Love it. Do you really? Oh yeah. It's a real ritual of mine. That's. I mean, yeah. That's kind of like sending it up into the world, isn't it? Sending it up into smoke because you just go. That's the job. That little bit. That little job which was your audition, is finished. If you get the job, that's another job. If you don't get the job, then you want to send it up the chimney and wish it well. That's that's a big I love thing that. Yeah. Whereas I'm sat here like, fuck them, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a little bit, but I've got an audition to tip today, actually. And I was kind of like, oh, I hope I get this. Like, this character seems like really like good for me. And then I'm like, I'll, I know I'll record it today, send it in tomorrow. And then I'll be like for the next three weeks i'll be like on christmas day why have they not messaged me yeah. why have they, why you have know they over not... christmas they're just on holiday they haven't yeah. even looked no like and, and that's the thing that i'm kind of getting used to and because ever since i've started this podcast because we're getting guests from all over the world sometimes i'll get an email at four o'clock in the morning and i'm like right get up reply to it and now no yeah i i, I have a set work hours now yeah. Don't get me wrong, I still edit into like six o'clock in the morning, but like... Yeah, but that's your choice. You're not responding to someone like a little kind of, you know, like where you have to just go, oh my God, there's a message I have to reply. Like, it's not yeah. No, it really isn't. And this year I have literally, I've said to my mum, because my mum's coming to stay with me over Christmas, and I was like, she was like, are you going to edit? And he, I'm like, am I going to see you? Because I know you're in rehearsals. I was like, rehearsals finish the Saturday before Christmas. Um, I'm edited up until the middle of January, apart from this episode. 
so I'll do this probably today or tomorrow. And then, like, I'm properly... I've not taken a break, like, since I went back to drama school September 2020. And breaks are important, and actors don't take them, because what they'll do is they'll go, oh, no, I shouldn't go on holiday, because what if I get a job? Or And I just think you've got to live your life. You've got to be able to live your life and go, this is my job. It is not my religion, it's my job, and that is my yeah. life. And if I want to go on a holiday, I'm going to go on a holiday. Just, just, yeah. For me, it's not even going on holiday. I don't think I've actually went a day where I've went and had a day where I've just not thought about anything work-related everything's always especially like just now because it's a world of fast moving self-tips so you got to keep up with the ball everything's yeah. like oh what am I going to do for this what am I going to do for that oh I've got that podcast on Thursday I need to plan that out so I'm excited for like I've got my out of office on until the 10th of January really? and I'm very excited to just finish I think it used to be and it was really different back in the like back in the day when I started. You had I had a I had an answer phone and that was it. If I went out for the day with my mates, yeah, no one was in touch with me till I got home and listened to my to my answer phone. So you couldn't have an audition the next day. They couldn't expect that of you because they couldn't get in touch with you. So they'd always have to give you notice. They couldn't send you sides. So you had to go. You know. So it was just. It was a. It was a. You could set your own pace, whereas now they know that you're on the end of a smartphone. So they know they can get sides to you that day and they know they can go, listen, we know it's tight, but can you come in tomorrow or whatever it is? Yeah. Or can you learn those sides overnight? So you've got no excuse. You can't say, yeah. well, no, I don't know, because I was out. It was like, well, yeah, but you you had your phone with you, didn't you? Yeah, your phone was in your pocket. I think you've got to protect yourself these days. You know, it's important. It's like it's uh, I was listening to one of these England footballers during the Euros last summer and he was saying oh in my house we've got I've got a big bowl by the door and if you come into my house you put your phone in, in the bowl by the door no one has phones in my house and I was thinking this is a multi-millionaire footballer he could have as many phones as he wanted but he's choosing to protect himself yeah. because of course they more than anyone else they're subjected to social media all the time aren't they and they're being criticized or whatever so you just think that's what I don't I think, think I'd be going to his house <laughs> You're 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 not going. You're refusing his invite. Yeah, I'd be like, I'm okay. Sorry, but I also I'd think. Like yeah, I do think that's kind of a dangerous pathway to go down, though, because as silly as it sounds, it's an addiction, and then all of a sudden yeah. you're just like cold turkey, like a heroin addict. It's not going to end yeah. well. It's an interesting experiment, though, isn't it? To think, could you do it? But how we've just started this conversation, I thought we could do a new one, considering it's 2023 and it's a new year. Should we both manifest something to happen in our professional lives? Because people okay, don't need yeah. to know about our personal lives. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to go for, I would like, I'm going to go for two things. I would like my first professional acting job. Like, I want to be paid cash money to act. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to say for the podcast, my top guest that I really want in 2023 is the one that I will mention later in the episode, Catherine Tate. Oh, yeah, she'd be a good So those are my two manifestations and putting it out into the world. What about you? So I suppose the first thing that comes to mind is there is a... I did a pilot for a series last year, BBC Comedy, with an absolutely brilliant, brilliant, brilliant young um, uh, writer, uh, comedian, stroke actor who I won't name now because it might not happen, but she's in the midst of, she's been greenlit for the series and she's in the midst of writing it and we're supposed to start filming in April. But, you know, she hasn't finished writing it yet. So my manifestation, I think, would be, I'm really hoping that that she gets that, she is is good getting that finished and that we film that in April because that is would be a really special, we've already filmed the first step. And it's a lovely part, but it's also she's an incredible talent. And she's one of those people you just go, I'd be so proud to be in her show. Mm. So that is something that I hope happens in April. Mm. I'm just going to piggyback off you there. Um, fifth professional job. My birthday is in April. I'll work relatively cheaply. There you go, you see. So if you want to write like me a little part. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm av I'm available. I'll I'll you mark the dates in my diary now. Genius young uh, sitcom writers. It's not a sitcom. It's a comedy. It's a comedy. Sitcoms uh, are my favourite TV genre. Yeah, I'm, so, a I'm a massive TV bluff. But I mean, sitcom sort of like it's a sort of such an old fashioned term, now, isn't it? But there's so much brilliant. It's like half hour comedy. I think yeah. it's just such a genius format. Yeah. And 
what I love about hers is it's fresh. She's really young. So it's a, it's written about, it's like about her generation, your generation. And it's kind of, um, I just think comedy is a brilliant place where you can really, invent genres and storylines all the time so you can have new writers coming in and writing new stuff we just go wow I can't imagine having watched that 10 years ago do you know what I mean mm. so the subject matter and yeah so to be part of that would would be really great yeah no I'd, yes being part of that would be really great there you go <laughs> emails in the show notes below um but what I do love to ask everybody that comes on the podcast is how did you get into acting and what was your first ever role it doesn't have to be a professional one we love a good nativity story yes um I was it's funny because it was one of those like I'm from so like I'm a second generation uh, immigrant family uh grew up in southeast London I was born in southeast London grew up in southeast London my family um are not there is no high culture in my family whatsoever there was very few books in my house there was Coronation Street on you know Morecambe Wise it was nothing yeah. it was 70s kind of so the expectation for me was always that I would go and get a job that paid money but I remember even when I was 10 it was my last year of primary school and they wanted volunteers for the play that they were doing with, it was called, it was Pinocchio. And I remember just putting my hand up to volunteer and I don't even, you know, as a kid, you sort of don't even, you look back and go, I wonder why, I wonder why I was so keen to do that thing. Yeah. What was that? Yeah. I got a nice part. I got the part of um, Pinocchio's father, Geppetto. And I remember just thinking, yeah, it was brilliant. And I had quite a loud voice. So I think people could hear me. Interestingly, um, the, one of the girls who played one of the sort of little clockwork dolls or something in it, who was the year below me, who I didn't know at the time, turned out to be Julia Sawala. So if you're a fan of uh, Ab Fab and things like that. So that I didn't even know. I worked with her dad years later and he went to me, oh, yeah, she was it. I remember seeing that show. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> but, um, and then I, I've already I seen you perform. <laughs> and I didn't like it. Um <laughs> And then, yeah, and then at senior school, so I just always tried to be in the play. So, and I was a really, you know, I still am really skinny. I was terrible at sports. I was Indian. It was like my senior school was not a comfortable place for me to be. You know, it was a rough Southeast London senior school. So, you know, plays, plays was the safe place. So I played Mr. Sabri and uh, Oliver and, you know, and it just, just did all that stuff, you know, and you just go, this is the only place I feel safe in this building. Um, and then you weirdly you go, but it's also a place I feel safe being seen. Do you know, because I don't know about your experience of senior school, but my experience of senior school was that I kept my head down and I was just avoiding trouble. Oh, I was the opposite. So you wanted to be invisible was the point. But it was this kind of strange liberation where you could go, but when I'm on stage, those yeah. same rough kids who want to beat me up suddenly laugh at me and come up to me and go, oh, you're funny, aren't you? And it's like, so you're kind of liberated because you're allowed to be in a brave place, but you're safe. You know, you're no one's going to come up to yeah. go the fuck you are. Um, so yeah, it was really it's that weird thing, isn't it? And then I went to see to sixth form, and I was going to do I was doing maths, physics, and economics to go and do a computer science degree. Oh, we would a, not have got along. <laughs> you know, in Indian kid that I was, and thinking. I, you know, it's just like, you know, you know, I know lots of actors now who come from art backgrounds and it was like expected. You could do what you want, be a writer, yeah. be an artist. Like, I didn't know my fa no one in my family or immediate, anyone I knew would ever think that they could earn money from the arts. Yeah. It was an outrageous thought. So, but then I was a senior, I was a, doing sixth form and my drama teacher there, who I was only doing like as a volunteer, because I was doing these three science A-levels, was a guy called Alan Cubitt, who it turned out later on, he was only a teacher at that point, but only a teacher. I mean, God, teachers are heroes. But he ended up becoming a very famous writer and he wrote that series, The Fall. I don't know if you've ever seen it. So now he's incredibly one of, you know, our most successful TV writers. But at the time he was a drama teacher and he just went, and I remember him just going to me, we did this, we did a play and he went, yeah, you could do this if you want it for your career. And it was like, my mind was blown. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And he... He really mentored me. He helped me choose my pieces for drama school. Without him, I'd have never got into drama school. I was too green. He said, oh, apply. I said, I don't want to go to London because I, I was from London. I wanted to go somewhere else. And he said, well, apply to Manchester. And so I applied to Manchester Met and I got in. And then that was it. And then, you, and then you're off, aren't you? And then you're sort of not questioning it anymore because you just go, oh, yeah, that's, that's what I do now. 
But yeah. I remember going home to my parents and going, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm dropping physics because I don't need to A3 levels because I'm going to drama school. What's for dinner? And literally, that was it. They had and no... what was the reaction like? Well, God bless them. They never tried to stop me. But I do remember their faces were a little bit open-mouthed and just didn't really know what to say. Because what do you mm. say when your 17-year-old child comes home and says something? It's like I'd come home and said, I'm going to be an astronaut. It's just like, what? I mean, how would you... How do you even compute mm. that, really? I remember telling my mum that this was what I wanted to do. And she was like, yes, go for it, go for it. Then I remember telling my dad and um, my dad was a bit more reserved. And I think he still is like, because my mum is totally on this podcast bandwagon and without tooting my own horn, I've done all right. Do you know what I mean? And but my dad still doesn't know what a podcast is. He's like, where can I listen to this? I'll, I'll phone them and I'll be like, oh, I've just had such and such on the podcast. Really cool. My dad's like, what's a podcast and I think he's still quite reserved and he had a conversation with me when I graduated this year and he was like are you gonna like do this and I was like well I'm trying and I I keep just saying to him and I really hope it's happening soon I'm like it's all gonna one day you're gonna turn around and go I'm glad you did that yeah and I'm like but as time passes I'm like can it hurry up (laughs) Well, just to share with you, my dad's 84 and he still rings me worried about whether I'm going to get another job. So I don't think it might not ever change uh, that worry from your dad. But but what is sweet is that when I'm on the telly, he he tells people I'm on the telly. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. they get a pride, even though they're still worrying about you because they can't quite understand what it is to be in that world. But yeah, you know. I think what it is and I think what I've I've boiled it down to, to my dad. I don't know if it's similar to you. It, it was it's such a. Very like you, I grew up in the northeast of England, very working class place. It wasn't, I, I come from like a mining village and it was like nobody that we know has made a living doing such a, in air quotes, easy job. And I, I think that, because it's not easy, and but I just think that they they don't understand the concept of it's, it's possible. Yeah. But here we and are. And also I think a lot of people who who come from a low middle class working class background the thought of just going i don't know where my next job is coming from is not a comfortable no place to be. And, and i mean and actually weirdly it's more common for loads loads more people now in that you know like this is every, how everyone has to be on zero hour contracts and all this kind of stuff but you know it's still you know most people would quite like a job where you go yeah yeah, yeah well this time next year i can still be doing this job if i want to a hundred percent Whereas the, I think the real existential kind of challenge for actors is that you go, when this job finishes, I do not know genuinely what is happening next. Yeah. And that's something we have to get used to. And it's something that other people around us don't really understand and feel kind of like quite frightened of. You're going for another job interview? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I go for one every time. Um, but you were talking um, very briefly there about your time at drama school. One of my favourite things in life, they fuel my existence, are funny or crazy drama school stories. Do you have any stories that you can share with us? Crazy drama school stories. I had. I mean, I stuff had goes on behind those doors. Yeah, I had a lovely time at drama school. It was, I, the best thing that ever happened to me, I think, was not going to a London drama school. I went to this, I went to Manchester Met. It was the late 80s. It was, Manchester was like the centre, I felt it was the centre of the universe. And it was, um, so it's that thing, isn't it? You have that wonderful thing, you've left home, you are going, I'm an independent human being. Um, I'm also at drama school. So I'm doing like, I'm, I'm suddenly... Instead of being the one funny kid in my in my year, I'm the same as everyone is the funny kid or the or the quite slightly odd or extraordinary person. And there's thirty of us in a room in a building, and that to me was just oh, it was just incredible liberation. I, I I suppose I was quite I was quite not really out of the ordinary when I was there. I just wanted to. I just wanted to enjoy myself. I wanted to do, I didn't take it as seriously as I would now. You know, there was an awful lot of drinking and, you know, yeah. if there was, what was quite funny was my year was quite mixed in terms of age. There was quite a lot of older students who were paying their own fees, you know, and I was lucky enough for that generation not to be paying my fees. So, but if, say, if one of the staff was sick, I'd just be like, well, we're going to the pub, surely. And like, there'd be older members of the company, like, you know, like who were in their mid twenties or late twenties, be going, 
no, no, I've paid my fees. We're going to come in and we're going to do some work. I'd be like, oh, really? Are we? Are we? Should we not? Should we not just be drinking? Um, so I didn't take. I wish I'd taken it more seriously. But it was a great time to be there. It was a very creative time. Mm. Steve Coogan was in the year above me. There was a lot of people in bands. It was a sort of, yeah. There was a. It was a very. It was a vibrant sort of place, and you had that feeling of we're not the Londoners. Yeah. So you had that feeling of like we're the outsiders, and we're cooler than them, and we're better than them not realising that we were at a disadvantage because we were, we're not in London. Fun. We're not in London. But at the time, you take that as a positive, don't you? And you wear, yeah. it, as a badge. You wear it as a badge of honour and go, yeah, we're from the north and fuck yeah. you. I turned yeah. into a bit of rebel, uh, uh, into a bit of a rebel the second time at drama school because I dropped out and I'd had such a terrible experience the first time. And I sort of went back and I was like, okay, so I'm just here for connections. I'm not actually here for anything else. And don't get me wrong, I just want to preface that by saying had a great time the second time around, loved it, and, and oh, got goodness. so much more than just connections. But I sort of went into it and I was like, art's subjective. I'm I'm like doing something. If you show everyone in the world what I'm doing, one person's going to like it. So it doesn't really matter what boxes they have to tick in to give me a grade. And I I, I don't know if that helped or hindered i had a terrible arrogance where it was just like oh it's like actors actors are all really pretentious and i'm not <laughs> going to be like that and it was and i didn't even know any actors i don't know why i, think, where, where <laughs> I got this idea from i mean it was literally like i i, I mean you went far off the money <laughs> but at the same time when you leave you realize that why well, actors are brilliant you know i mean we do this yeah. really difficult and fright and like kind of uncertain thing with very little financial reward guaranteed and and they're the best people i've had the best times with, with people like that because they're they're risking something they're prepared 100%. to risk something to do something that they love and um but at the time yeah i was such an inverted snob and i was like oh god they all think they're so great and and I'm not, I don't take any of this seriously. And 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 then you you realize that that what I love about John School is it's the place where you can drop teenage preconceived ideas that are just based on nothing but yeah. prejudice. You know, so it was like I was like, Shakespeare's rubbish, because I was taught it at school and it's shit. And then I remember doing Shakespeare in the second year and going, Oh my god, this is like a and this is like I might have got an English GCSE if it was taught like this. And I speaking these words is like one of the best things that's ever happened to me, you know. And yeah, that's allowed. It's allowed. It's a place where things like that are allowed for a working. Yeah, you're allowed to change your mind. You're allowed to fail. Most importantly, you're allowed allowed to to go. Oh yeah, I'm not that person anymore. And you don't have to justify it. You're not a politician. You don't have to pretend you were right all along. You just go, no, I'm this person now, and I love that time yeah that young and you're just allowed to change who you are I think that's mm. what's really wonderful about it yeah no I look back at at it and I'm just like I'm so glad I got to do that yeah because there's also there's lots of people I'm especially lucky in being in Scotland that I didn't pay for it yeah brilliant. so it's I'm I'm very grateful thank you Nicola Sturgeon um yeah. Very, very grateful. But a question that I love to ask everybody, because the first time I went to drama school, I learned lots of lessons, even though it wasn't a great time. What was the biggest lesson you learned at drama school? The biggest. <sighs> OK, so this is this is something that I think. Is the biggest lesson, probably. Um, it's the one that comes to me straight away anyway, was I had this uh, old one of the older tutors, and he was a right old, crazy old tutor. For anyone listening from Manchester Poly, he was uh, JCT, is John Carl Thompson, his name was, and he was wonderful. And he used to wander around in a kilt. He was from Glasgow, and he was like this kind of smoked a cigar. And he was extraordinary. I mean, he wouldn't be allowed in the building these days, but um, <laughs> he was, and, he, and a lot of people discounted him because he was. He, he used to talk about being back in the day working at the RSC with Donald Sindon. And it was like, it was a, you could take the piss out of him if you wanted. But I remember he said to me once, he just went, it's about in the second year. And you know that thing that happens in drama school where there's like little subgroups of people and some of the slightly cooler ones and some of the less cool ones. And, you know, you get, you, by the second year, you're all kind of sitting in a place in the hierarchy in a way, yeah. even though you're trying. And he just went to me, you know that thing when you're in a company? And he said, you'll find this all your career. He said, you'll be in a company and you've made a mate 
maybe in the first week you've gone for a drink with them or whatever he said or here while you're here because you all know each other well and the two of you go oh yeah that other person's nice aren't they they chat a bit they go on a bit don't they blah blah hey yeah have you noticed they go on about some stuff that's not really relevant yeah 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 and anyway you're having a little bond slightly slagging someone else off and he said and then the next day you're back in the in the rehearsal room and or you're on set and that person starts doing the thing that you've already connected this other person saying yeah they start chatting to us and he said and this is all you have to do this is very going to be very hard to do or um or uh, in in audio but he, he said you're looking you might be looking at your script or whatever and you just glance up at your mate and you just look at them that's all you do just a little shared glance of oh yeah they're off again nothing big the other no one else in the room is ever going to know that and he said you've just destroyed the ensemble he said, you've just broken the trust of the entire room. And he said, and it's human nature and we all do it and we'll all do it again because it's a bit delicious when you have that little secret thing. Yeah. The- he said, but what you're doing is you're not creating safety and, and actors, whether you get on with each other or not, or whether you see the world in the same way or not, you have to be able to feel safe to fail and to create stuff together. That's when the best stuff's made. And when you do that, you slightly undermine the ensemble. And I'm a big believer in the ensemble. Um, and I just think the greatest joy is when you've got an ensemble of actors who trust each other and can really risk stuff for each other. You've and just worth- blown my mind. <laughs> because but I, I was that blew- person. Well, it blew my mind because I was, especially in the second year, getting into that place where I was feeling quite cocky and I had a few, you know, a couple of the mates. There was maybe the couple of the people in the year that were a bit less whatever, a bit more gauche or whatever, and you'd slightly be tempted to take the piss out of them in a general way. I mean, we, we were actually have gotten really well as a year, but he really made me, he stopped me in my tracks. And I made, yeah. made me think that is a thing I've learned about human nature today. And it was a really wonderful thing. Uh, I was that person. I was the glancer upper because me and my best friend at drama school, anybody that's listening will know who it is. So I'll just give her a shout out. Sam McGowan. We were both smokers. We both quit now, but we were the only two cigarette smokers. So we would be out and we'd be just naturally talking about everything that was happening. We weren't slagging anyone off, but we'd be like, like you said, like, oh, they've spoke for 45 minutes today about the importance of, turning your taps off in the summer or whatever it is and we would do that we would look up and go she's going again yeah like we've only got 45 minutes and we've got to film this scene tomorrow yeah and he Um, he said to me if you've got a problem with someone in your in the room and you've got to keep working with them for any length of time go home rant about them to your mum to your best mate to your partner anyone who's not in that room yeah Get it off your chest. It's not saying you have to be a saint, but keep it out of that room. Yeah. Because I'm going to take that on board. It's an amazing thing. And I've I've applied it in virtually every job I've ever done because it yeah. always continues. Because, of course, we're all human beings and that scenario just yeah. always arrives. I've learned a lesson today. <laughs> no, like, Jen, because I, I was that person and it did, and it did at some points, it was, like, a bit awkward and stuff and... Like, but yeah, no, I totally agree. And then as things happen in drama school, things happen that everyone speak about. And then somebody's in the corner going, why are you all talking about me? And it's because they're being a dick. But like, if we just keep it out of the room. Yeah. And and what you'll find, Ingram, as you go along, is every company is a miniature version of that drama school company. Yeah. Every company is that. So it's it's not unique to drama school. It is going to continue. And yeah. especially if you're a company that's together for any length of time. You know, you've, I've never been in a company that was three years long, like drama school, but I've been in a company that was together for a year. I've been in a company that's been together for three months. So so, so, so those things can arise. And, and I do think you have to just be watchful for it because yeah. things, can go, things can go sour quickly. Yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm fully taking that on board. Fully. There's a saying that I love, which is be the person who changes everyone's luck when you step into the room. So you can be the person that works against that turning sour, or you can be the person that hastens that turning sour. Mm. And you can do either of those in a room. And the yeah. temperature can change. In a, you know it. You can be in company. One person swaps out of that company, the whole company can change. Yeah, 100%. For better or worse. And mm. so be the person that changes it for the better. I think. Yeah. Can't wait to go to rehearsals on Saturday now. 
<laughs> and not only that, I mean, in a purely selfish way, I've worked on jobs where the director has said to me, oh, I just wanted to get you back because it's just nice to have you in the room. Yeah. So, that was, so it actually, in the long run, if people if you, people feel safe around you, it will get you work as well. Yeah. Well, I would just like to point out I'm not an arsehole. Like, <laughs> so if anybody wants to hire me, I'm available. <laughs> um, but talking about companies and ensembles, I, I want to briefly talk to you about what most of the audience will know you from, which is Benidorm. Yeah, um, yes. What was the audition process like for you? Well, it was a funny one. Well, I mean, it was quite a normal one, I suppose, at the time. It was... Um, I knew the the writer and creator Darren Litton he uh, I he funny enough he'd done an advert with my sister a few years before so I knew he was and he was also one of the main writers on Catherine Tate and I thought he was a genius on that yeah like Catherine Tate show he was the one they used to do those dirty bastards that sketch it was like the two of them are going and then they served snails the dirty bastards it was like a sort of racist couple yeah <laughs> but it was it was genius and I think Darren used to write those he, he certainly co-wrote a lot of that series so I knew his work I knew he was brilliant um but interest what was interesting was that he wanted his gay couple in that show to be essentially a bit like him and his boyfriend of the time so it was like he wanted them basically to be the most normal people in the show so it was kind of quietly really subversive idea that this show was going to be full of freaks and crazy people um and the town itself was going to be full of that but the the, the kind of the people who were viewing it all for the audience and going fucking hell these people are mental, <laughs> were the gay couple you, who would then be the couple that at the time uh, i want to say it was 2008 am i lying yeah 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 roughly so yeah. around that time it would have been very much like the gays were the freaks to the audience's perception. Like the audience would be thinking of like, you know, are you being I've never thought about it like that. So, well, you know, he's this, this, is where, genius. this is where I think popular culture can be much more sometimes subversive than the kind of most avant-garde bit of kind of yeah you know, channel four, whatever. Because we had, to, to the best of my knowledge, we had the first ever gay proposal in a mainstream ITV show. Yeah. Um, we had just just the normalization of a gay couple who just happened to be on holiday and were actually the most kind of normal people there. So that I think that anyway, I'm putting words in his mouth, but I'm pretty sure that was kind of his premise. And so he was looking for people that fitted that remit. So Hugh Sachs was sort of Darren, and I was sort of he was looking for a sort of uh South Asian character to play the boyfriend of yeah of, of sort of himself um and so yeah I didn't know any of that at the time I just went in and auditioned cold um and then it was one of those which it often is for actors it was quite difficult I didn't hear for a while they seemed to like me then they called me back for an audition to read with other people like to, to partner up and with a yeah. potential boyfriend. and I again I read with about three people that day I think and Darren was there the director was there but again, I didn't know if there was other people. Yeah, reading your part. I hadn't got the part for sure. Yeah. So again, you go, oh, you know, and then that's when it's terrible, isn't it? Because it's like, if you just audition once, you just think, oh, well, it's out there. I might get it, might not. But once you know they like you, that's yeah. when it's painful. You start to become connected. And whatever you do in your head, you cannot help because you've had to commit to this bit of script. You also can't commit help but commit to going, well, I wonder where it films in Spain. I wonder who's going to look after my cat. I wonder what's, you know, and you just start imagining that you're moving to bed off. Yeah, because you cannot, you cannot divorce your performance from the human being who's going to go and do that part. Yeah. So that's why acting can be so brutal because, you know, it's very hard to not do that. So I was thinking, God, I'd really, really like to do this job. And I'd had, I'd done a lot of telly when I first came out of drama school. And then I'd had a few years where I'd mostly done theatre and a lot of, I'd done a lot of touring, I'd done a lot of rep. So I was really skint most of the time. And I was having quite big gaps between jobs and I hadn't done a regular partner series for a long time. Yeah. So it, again, it seemed like I just thought this is something I would really be useful to me. And it's also clearly a really, really good show. Um, 
then I got it. So sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, you know, and I got Such it. Such we a great out. show. But we went out and that first series that I thought this is this it was quite edgy, the first series, and it was on ITV. I just thought the ITV audience might not go for this. It was on quite late. I think we were on after the news. Maybe I can't remember when it was on, but first series was certainly a bit under the radar. And then the first time I realized it was going to be big was they commissioned a second series, which was not guaranteed at all. And I was in the car, the taxi driving me back to Gatwick Airport. And the taxi driver went to me, I love that show. And he said, and I love that little old lady. That little old lady, I love her. And you know what? That is my auntie. That is my auntie. And I suddenly thought, oh, wow, Darren's hit something here. He's hit something where people look at those people and go, I know those people. We all knew everyone there. Because he's a classic. You know, what's brilliant about Darren is he's, I think a lot of the problem with a lot of mainstream TV, particularly in Britain, is that it's it's written by upper middle class people for lower middle class people and working class people. So there's a, often there's a slightly patronising, oh, I think this is what they'd like. Um, yeah. Whereas, in fact, they all want to be making art house movies. Do you know what I mean? Whereas Darren was just like, I used to go there on holiday. I know those people. I'm from that world. And I love those people. Yeah. And he just wrote it. And so it was, like, true. It was true. Even though it was outlandish, there was a truth to it. Yeah. That you just go, I, I grew up with people like that. So I think that was the key to its success, really. Because he genuinely loved He He loves that. He loves those people. He loves them. And so I think you feel that love from him for them. And we had a brilliant time doing it. They were amazing people. We were in Benidorm. It was mental, you know. As you yeah, my, every time my mum goes to Benidorm, because she is a Benidormer, she will send me a picture of um, Sol Pelicanos. I want to say that's where it is. She doesn't yeah. stay there. She doesn't. She stays in the Flash Hotel. Yeah, um, yeah. But she always goes there and she's like, look where I am. And then all of my parents were there, all of my family, my parents are split up, were there while I was doing my GCSEs. And they were like, they were filming. <laughs> they were filming. We watched it. Well, what, was, what was mental was first series, no one knew who we were. So that was fine. We were totally, you know, like incognito. Second series onwards, if you worked or lived or went on holiday in that town, you had watched the show. So yeah. literally, I'd never been in a town before where every single person unless you were spanish knew exactly who we were <laughs> and it was mayhem you know i mean yeah. some mayhem and it was like you couldn't go anywhere the, the, it was and 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 it was you know again it it was nice because you just thought this show is popular now and it's speaking to people yeah weirdly i mean we were talking about before we, i think we started recording about going to sleep with netflix on yes interesting since lockdown, i didn't want to say i watch benadon while i fall asleep but it is on but, my cycle but, of shows since lockdown, when when I think people were watching, binge watching entire series of stuff, I've had loads and loads of young, really young people, like people at school who, who have rediscovered the show. And I've had at least three instances of young people, like 16 or so, going to me, oh, yeah, I have it on every night to go to sleep. And I texted Darren recently and I said, you know, young people have, like people at school have rediscovered the show. And he said, I know, it's mad, it's crazy. Mm. But it's sort of hit with Netflix, it's hit a new audience. And I think particularly yeah. through... Netflix does that, like it sort of, it's the catalyst to bringing shows into the forefront. Like it did it with Shameless UK and stuff. So yeah. I hope they continue to do that with great British TV shows. I know Two Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crisps is on iPlayer, but I think we need to get it on... The sold-out five-star play is returning to Webster's Theatre. This is where we get off by Ingram Noble and Heather Spiden follows the Moffat family through some of the most difficult days of their lives. Yvonne is seven months pregnant, her husband Philip is constantly disappearing and leaving dodgy phone bills behind, their 18-year-old son Lip is debating joining the army and trying to navigate his love life, and their dog-breeding, sex-toy-selling neighbour Rhonda is still doing her weekly shop in their kitchen. How will they cope with the unexpected arrival of an estranged family member? Make sure to get your tickets from the link in the show notes below to see This Is Where We Get Off at the Webster's Theatre on the 11th of February, 2023. Back to Benidorm and stuff. I want to ask you what your favourite Benidorm moment has is. Like, what from the whole season? The series? You know... <laughs> Jesus Christ. We Mine have is so anything Mel. Yeah. I th he... Jeffrey was a particular comedy genius and yeah. I learned more from him I think in terms of comedy than I've ever learned from anyone because 
what you didn't know about Jeffrey was that, or you might have known, was that like in the eighties he played every Shakespearean clown. Yeah, it's a absolute comedy genius and he could make you know some of those Shakespearean clowns are bloody hard to make funny because they're not really relevant anymore and he could make anything funny that man I mean it was a huge tragedy when we lost him so young and I know Darren was absolutely gutted because he was so integral to the show yeah I think um, it changed the trajectory of yeah yeah yeah. He he was just an utter genius and he came in in series two and I think two and three as you say he was so funny he was so funny and he was driest but like funniest comedian off stage as well he he said some things to me that are some of the funniest things that i can't say on this (laughs) i mean you can and i'll take it out i can't because they're about about people but um oh fuck i mean definitely you can tell me (laughs) it was so he was so so funny i remember there was one night particularly we had a mad drunken night out (laughs) which which jeffrey wasn't always at well we weren't you know we didn't but you know and a night out in benedict would go on all night that was the problem and for some reason we didn't do it normally on a filming day but we'd got it was one of those it had just happened and we were all out we'd gone to a bar then we'd ended up going to another bar then we'd ended up going to karaoke and um (laughs) I, I went in the next day and he was sat in the makeup chair looking not great. And I went to him, Jeffrey, after I left, I heard you did some, uh, you did some, you did some karaoke. And he was just, he was so grumpy. He was like, fuck off. And I, <laughs> no, you did. I heard, I heard you did. I got you, babe. And I went, and he went, oh, fucking hell. Yes. And I said, do you remember who you did it with? And he went, it was fucking Asquith. All right. It was fucking Asquith. Cause it was Robin Asquith who, you know, from the, uh, who was on the show famously. And I just, the thought of him and Robin Asquith doing, I got you babe. I just wish I'd been there. I wish someone had had a camera on that. Yeah. Um, but they were, yeah, it was, it was, it was absolutely, it was great times. I think for me personally, maybe doing YMCA was, was one of my favorite. Oh my God. Yes. The fact of all of us getting dressed up. And um, and Jake Canuso, who 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 played um, Matteo, used to be a, a dancer. I don't know if you yeah. know, he danced with the Spice Girls. He's like really, really successful dancer. So <laughs> they just left us and went, Jake, get them, just make them do a little routine that we can do in the karaoke. <laughs> Poor Jake, with the five of us, like the li- least good dancers probably in oh. it, trying to get us to get a little routine together. Oh, it was absolutely wonderful. <laughs> So that it's, was good. It was moments like that, and it's moments like characters like Noreen, who yeah. are just they can tip the episode from being a great episode to the best episode. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. are you ready I'm, to come out? I mean, she was like, you, Elsie. Elsie was just she's just a genius, and and she's like she just again another amazing actress she was actually she turned 80 while we were filming there one year so she was probably in her late 70s when we started and just a fucking comedy genius and you go this actress who's had a good career not necessarily famous but suddenly you go this is your moment fucking absolutely brilliant i love it suddenly the whole world is seeing what you've always done and you know made a career out but suddenly everyone's going she's a genius you know yeah no she really was and i do have to ask speaking about the resurgence of tv shows was recently announced that benadorm is coming back and i'm gonna ask you two questions and you can feel free to decline both of them have you been asked or would you do it i know you probably can't tell me if you have been asked i'd certainly do it i think what happened was at the time, they had a new head of ITV who, you know, as these people do, wanted to make changes and run, run the changes and cancelled the show, even though it was still the most popular show I think they've ever had in terms of comedy. Yeah. Um, so that was a weird choice. Um, but, you know, that's what happens. That's We'd had 10 years. You can't complain. But um, I think it's ripe for... I mean, you know, when they did the, when they did the stage show, I remember going to see it yes. right in the late minute, and um, there was people sat on either side of me who'd never been to the theatre before. There was an old couple next to me, must have been in their sixties, just went, "We've never been to the theatre in our lives." Wow! The Royal in Brighton watching the show, and you just thought, "This is powerful. This is powerful stuff." Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think they should. Um, and I would certainly do it again. And I just think, you know, Darren's probably got more stories to tell, especially now because there's been a gap. So, um, but... And the Garveys are coming back. Well, they're 
wondrous, all of them. I mean, you know, Steve, Siobhan, they're just like, they're geniuses in their own rights, the two of them. I don't know if you've seen Siobhan recently on that on that show, Alma's Not Normal. I haven't seen it. It's on my list. But she was in something else very recently, and I didn't... I, I spent the whole time while I was watching it going, I know her from somewhere. I know She's her... She's literally what... genius because you can, you can put her in the heaviest drama and she'll break your heart. And you can put her in the maddest comedy and she'll make you piss yourself. If you must... If you must watch Alma's Not Normal. Yes, you, it is on my... is one of the best things I've ever seen. Mm. Um, I remember texting her afterwards going, I have literally no idea how you did that. So she's a... She, you know, and Steve, obviously, is like, you know, all these people. It, it was a, There was a lot of very, very brilliant actors in yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's ripe for it. But, you know, the, the what I've learned as an actor is you never worry about what could happen, what oh, I wonder if they're going to make that. I wonder if they make it, will they ask me, whatever. You just think, what's the next thing? Do you know what I mean? Because pinning your happiness on things that are out of your control is pointless. Well, it has been announced it's coming back. It came from from the mouth of Darren Lytton at Benny Con. Um, well, if Darren said it, then it's then it's. So true. I hope you'll be in it. My last yeah. question that I want to ask you about Benidorm, did you steal anything from the set as a memento? Did I steal anything? I was going to take my, the, the, my tiny shorts that I used to wear um, but also the thing was we never knew whether whether it was going to come back or not, you know. So you couldn't really rob a load of stuff. I know Darren <laughs> took loads of stuff at the end because he obviously did know it was the end. Yeah. Um, and he's got a bar in Benidorm now, which you must visit. It's called yes. Mateo. If you're ever there in Benidorm, you must visit it. And he's got loads of the the, the, the of the kind of souvenirs from the show up. Um and it is a brilliant little karaoke bar. So if you're ever in Benidorm, go and visit him. And and you know he's he's often there, and he'll chat to you about it. And yeah, it's a good. So if you like memorabilia, that's the. Place. I just love finding out if people stole anything because some people will come out with, "No, I didn't steal anything, but I was given permission." And then some people will be like, "Yeah, I stole a couch." Oh yeah, oh my god. No, I'd have robbed stuff definitely if I'd had a chance. But there was yeah, you always just thought, "Oh well, we might be back next year." So mm. you sort of sort of didn't really think about it delayed your chance yeah i've got yeah no i i'm not really one for again for mementos and i'd have I've had to take a wristband you are i'd have had to take oh, no, a wristband I did, have, I did have some wristbands i have to say and that's just because we used to wear them and then you'd forget yeah. and then you'd back in your digs and go oh i've still got it on and you <laughs> so back go, in london six weeks later yeah all-inclusive <laughs> love yeah 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 but what i've done actually is over the years because every now and again someone will write to you and go oh, we're raising money for this charity. Do you have any memorabilia? So actually, I've I've got rid of it all over the years, like cards and things signed by Darren and stuff. It's all gone, actually, which is brilliant, because then you can yeah. go, yeah, I've got this thing. I can send it you in an envelope and they can, you know, raise some money from it and that, whatever. So, is that so how I you get think... signed memorabilia? I'm going to start yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just yeah. donate some money to charity every time I do <laughs> it. Um, a question that I love to ask everyone, and I alluded to it at the beginning of the podcast, was if a casting director came and said to you tomorrow, listen, I want to do a two-hander in the West End, but I don't know who I want to put you with. Who do you want to be your co-star? And it has to be somebody that's alive, but it can be anyone. Wow. Anyone like in the world. I'll carry on my tradition of Catherine Tate. Yes, yes. She'd make me look like a piece of shit, and I'm at peace with that. Who wouldn't want to work with her? Yeah. Um, God, that's a really good question. I I suppose it would have to be the genius actor of our time, in my in my opinion, Mark Rylance, probably. Yeah, he's been he's been mentioned quite a few times. He's, he well, for me, uh, it's like watching, you know. Mozart. Yeah. And you watch him and you go, that person's that person is a genius. Um <laughs> and, and you know, most actors you watch them and you go, um, yeah, I know what they're doing. I can see I, I, it might be it might be brilliant, but I kind of yeah. know what they're doing because that that's what I do. Yeah. But with him sometimes, I mean I've been lucky enough to work with him as well. And you watch him and you just go, No, I don't know what's going on. I just don't know what <laughs> it's coming oh. from the do you know what it's I mean? just disgustingly talented people, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. So that would be good. I've always wanted um, me and Indira Varma have wanted to do something together for a while. I'd love to work with her. I adore her. I mean, I've worked with her, but I'd love to do like a two hander with someone like that. Would be lovely. Mm. Um, loads of I, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an impossible question, but I just like to see who's at the... what a laugh, what a laugh to sort of do anything like that. Also, my real answer is anyone. 
Anyone, anyone. Yeah, two-hander. A two-hander would be such an extraordinary... I'm trying to think if I've ever done it. I don't think I have. Um, so that would be amazing. Mm. Yeah, no, I've yeah. not done a two-hander either. Let's do one together. There we go. Yes. There we go. Um, I did, with my really good friend, um, Chris Staines, we did a version of um, Zoo's Story, which is an amazing play by... Oh, what's his bloody name? The guy who wrote Virginia Woolf. Anyway, um, everyone will be shouting that at the, at the podcast. Yeah. Um, and we were really lucky because we were we were playing Rosencrantz and Guildenstern in in a, the, a national theatre production of Hamlet. So we had consequently quite a lot of time to, to spare. We were on tour, so we rehearsed this uh, with with the assistant director Stephen Rentmore. We we rehearsed this version of this two hander, and it was wonderful. And then we got the chance to do it because there was one night I remember at the National where the show something had happened. The Olivier was 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 it between shows? The Littleton, I think someone had got really ill and took three of the cars or something and the show was down. And we did the show in the Cottesloe Theatre to a full house of people. And that was one of it, it was a one-off, one night only, but oh that that was that was an amazing because it was a one-off as well. Yeah. Uh Chris Staines is such a brilliant actor. So that was good. You can now become an official drama school dropout. We're now on Patreon and you can help this podcast grow on so many levels. As an official Drama School Dropout, you'll have access to unique benefits, including exclusive early access to episodes before anyone else. To become an official Drama School Dropout, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash drama school dropout. We're going to play a game now. It's my favourite thing in the world. It's called Stage Right or Stage Shite. And it's three stories. Two of them are the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth and have been submitted by listeners. And one of them is a big fat lie that's been made up by our producer, Heather. I've got your uh, the answer in a sealed envelope so I can play along as well because these are my favourite things in the world. Number one, I was doing a play fresh out of drama school and there was this one scene where I just had to be in my boxers and for context, I like to go commando. On opening night, I unzipped my jeans and realised that I wasn't wearing any boxers and I didn't have any with me. So I had to ask several of my castmates for their boxers before somebody gave me them. Number two, my now ex tried to take out an advert in a programme for a show I was in to break up with me. The advert never made it to print, but I was forwarded the email by the marketing team. Number three, one of my front veneers fell out during a headshot photography session. I kept one of my toothless photos and used it for my Christmas card that year. Don't worry, though. The photographer rescheduled me after I got my tooth fixed. I I think it's got to be one or two. I really want two to be true, but I think that's the line. I think that's stage five. Yeah, I want two to be true. Yeah, I'm thinking it would be... I'm doing a play right now. And I have to be in my boxes during one scene of the play. And I don't think I'm going to forget to wear boxes that night. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Unless they're like in the middle of a run and it's just yeah. slipped his mind. But yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to come with you on two and let's yeah. see if we're right. That'd be horrible. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Number one. Oh, number one. So number two was true. I like oh, that. I love that. I love that. I did know of a very, very famous actress who who apparently once, once that her and her husband are divorced and he used to sit in the back of the theatre apparently, this was back in the day, pissed, shouting, you're shit! <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I think he was removed quite quickly. So. That's that's great. I love that. Um, whoever tried to take out an advert. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love that. Imagine the malice. Yeah. For ages thinking, um, over. You've you've had such an amazing career. I was literally looking at your CV yesterday, and it spans several pages of A4. Um, what's been your biggest "what the fuck is happening" moment? What in terms of good? Well, I always say good, but you can say bad if you want. We'd love a bit of drama on the podcast. <laughs> Call someone um, out. I think the, I mean, the way you actually phrase it, "what the fuck is happening," it has to be uh, when I did. Pirates of the Caribbean and I they were the first day we were on the ship they they have to the ship has to be far enough out to sea so that you can't see the land you know because they're yeah. filming all around and they 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 shipped us all out in these little speedboats out to the ship and you kind of went around this bit of headland and you just saw like the Black Pearl out there at sea 
Wow. And you just thought, fucking hell, there's a pirate ship. And then I remember getting on board that day, and the first thing we were shooting was there was a big battle with the zombies, which we had been rehearsing on land. And the stunt director just went to me, right, so what we're thinking for you, Paul, your character, is you're going to climb the rigging, climb the rigging, and um, and then on action, you're going to climb down the ribbing, rigging, and then you're going to fight with that zombie there, and blah, 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 blah. And I went, when I climb the rigging, can I have a knife between my teeth? Because <laughs> it's like, you know, as a boy, try playing pirates. And he went, yeah. And I remember climbing the rigging, getting ready, and I had a knife, and I thought, I'm up the rigging, dressed as a pirate, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. What the fuck is going on? That I, I definitely that. actually said that to myself. What the fuck is going on? That's great. That I think that is now the what the fuck is happening story to beat. That that's a great story. Um, my last question for you. It's a closing tradition we have on the podcast. I asked the guest to leave the previous guest to leave a question for you, and then I'll ask you to leave a question for the next guest. They don't know who they're asking. You won't know who you're asking. But the question that's been left for you is: Do you prefer Halloween or Christmas? Christmas. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christmas gal. I'm a sucker for Christmas. Get the Christmas songs on. Christmas jumper. Love it. I'm not enjoying the minus 11 weather. Like, but that is Christmas, though. Come on, it's going to be cold. Yeah, I, it can be cold. It can be cold, right? But do you know the, the least... only good thing is it pissed down here for a week, and because it's so cold, it's frozen. But it's to the point where it's not slidey. Do you know when ice gets that cold that oh. it's just ground? Wow. Wow. Like, that's... the ice isn't slidey. That's amazing. I, 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 There's nothing worse than a mild Christmas. You don't want it just to be a bit mild. You can't even. Put a I am looking outside now, and it's been on and off flutters of snow. For that's, like, that's what we want. While we've been recording this, but I'm looking. I've got a massive tree outside. My windows are here. I've got a massive tree. Oh, I can show you a picture that I sent my sister earlier, and it, it does look like Christmas. Like in all honesty, like it it looks like Christmas. Oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah, that's what you want. That I is hate that fucking tree, though. It gets in the way of my Wi-Fi. Um, <laughs> but what's what's coming up next for you? Because I know you're out filming. Where can people see yeah. you, follow I'm you? a very nice series out here, which, again, I don't think I can say I'm in yet. So I can't tell you what that is. But it's a lovely series, which I'm really enjoying, um, that's filming out in Belgrade. I'm hopefully doing this series in the spring, which I mentioned already. And then the show that I was in last summer at the National Theatre is coming back. I can say this because it has been announced. So it's a show called Father and the Assassin, which will be on in the late summer back at the National Theatre, and I'm playing Mahatma Gandhi in it. So it's an amazing Talk about no pressure. No pressure, and it's a brilliant play, and I did it last summer, and it went very well. So, yes, so that is, I've got quite nice things lined up for 2023. Are you doing social media? Do you do social media? Where can people follow you? I do, but I'm rubbish at it. I do a bit of Twitter and a bit of uh, Instagram. Um, but my my daughter is like always disgusted that I've never put in the right things on Instagram. <laughs> she told me off the other day because she's 17. She told me off the other day because I put a picture of a flat white on Instagram. She went, what are you playing at? <laughs> <laughs> so you know so she she guards my instagram quite carefully that's fun um i don't have it i normally have it i'm on my um i'm not on my air game with usernames so everyone can go follow you no, that way remember them this is another thing where she gets annoyed with me i can't remember them but it's mm-hmm. paul if you look up paul Baisley, i'll show up on twitter and instagram probably it's just the same as me paul Baisley. just your name yeah just yeah. my name i'm just ingram noble so you know like follow us both on social media thank you so much for coming on and doing this with me especially while you're at work and stuff it's been so lovely like genuinely what i do like to say to everyone if you're ever in glasgow i don't drink anymore but the first round's on me and you're the working actor so the second round and the third and the fourth and the fifth are all on you um because my money will run out very quickly if they're all on me um but Best of luck in Serbia. Um, thank you very that, much. And best of luck are. with you. Yes, rehearsal. thank you so much. And I can't wait to see you in that TV show we're not talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'll double check before. If it, if we're allowed to talk about it, yeah. I will leave it in. If we're not, I'll right. take it out. Um, right. But thank you so much. Have a lovely rest of your day. I thank am you. going to trek to the post office in the freezing okay. cold. Um, but have a lovely day. Thank you so much for doing this. 
And there we have it, another episode of Drama School Dropout, episode 118, the very first episode of 2023 completed. Thank you so much to Paul for coming on the podcast and make sure to follow us both on social media, which you'll find down in the show notes below. And if you're feeling extra generous, please leave a rating and a review on the podcast. It helps us out so much you don't even know. While you're down there, make sure to click the link and get your tickets for This Is Where We Get Off, which is returning to Webster's Theatre on the 11th of February. 2023 it's so close and i want to sell it out again i want to do it if you have a story for stage right or stage shy please go down and make sure to click the link to the google form and submit your story and who knows it might be featured on the podcast i'll be back again next week with a brand spanking new episode we are here every tuesday in 2023 and we are kickstarting the year with the best possible guests have a great week stay safe i love you Drama school dropout, no graduation day for you. Drama school dropout, thought your whole course, now try something new. Drama school dropout.